Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free. Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Right now, let's go to our lead pastor, Chris Figueretti, for this week's message. Well, good morning. How are you? We are going to have so much fun this morning. I can't wait. But before we get to this morning, next week uh, is uh, our Be the Blessing weekend. Uh, every year in November, last year it was for four, four messages. This year we're just doing one message. But we are going to bless the socks off the Ohio Valley for the next month. Uh, and we're going to give away a bunch of money and we're going to serve really, really awesome organizations in our community who are really genuinely helping people. And uh, we are going to do the Operation Christmas Child thing, bring those boxes in and two weeks and we're going to do a food drive at the very end. It's going to be a lot, a lot of fun. But next week you want to be here. You want to hear about all the organizations we're going to be helping. We're going to be doing baptisms, as Jen said. And I want to encourage you, bring somebody with you. A lot of times people are like, yeah, church people, they just get together and talk about church people's stuff. And, and, and really what a lot of people are looking for is somebody that's making a difference. And so when they get to hear about the difference we're making and even be invited to participate in that, it makes a difference in their lives. So bring somebody with you next weekend. And then the weekend after that, we're doing a three-week sermon series starting in two weeks uh, on fear. And, and, the, and the reality of our, in the environment today is that fear and anxiety and panic attacks, all those things are on the rise. It is so common for people to be dealing with those issues, and we're going to talk about them and what the Bible has to say about how we navigate them. We're not going to beat anybody up for being afraid, uh, but we're going to look at how we get through that and, how we, um, and how, what God has to offer in the midst of all of that, and it's going to be really, really good. So you want to be here for that. But this week, this week... I am going to talk about something you're not supposed to talk about in church. Let's see, that would be sex. Um, politics. Politics is what we're going to talk about this week. We're going to save the sex sermon for next year. Um, so, so we're going to talk about politics this week and the politics of Jesus. Um, and, 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 and this is, you know, this can be really, really controversial because there's a bunch of people with a bunch of different opinions about politics, right? Now, you're probably sitting next to somebody who has a different opinion than you do. And it's not like it's just kind of a mild opinion. It's a strong opinion. And if it's different than yours, you might get upset, or at least that's what we're seeing. We're seeing this across our culture. They're saying that 2000 20, the election of 2020, which is just one year away. We are one year away from the 2020 election. is shaping up to be the most volatile election of our lifetime, maybe in the history of our country. And that's why I wanted to have this conversation, kind of like, let's just gather around the table and talk about how do we deal with that? Because it is real. The struggle is real. Can I get an Amen. It is real, and we're a year out, and how we navigate this next year, how you navigate this next year can have major consequences in the people around you and the people watching you, and I want you to be able to navigate it well. Um, 
We are a very divided nation. Everybody has, has seen this, commented on it. I found a quote from the uh, Associated Press. It says, Americans are more divided than ever, gridlocked over social issues, race, gender, and the economy. It's no longer just Republican versus Democrat or liberal versus conservative. It's the 1% versus the 99. It's rural versus urban, white men against the world, climate doubters clash with believers, bathrooms have become battlefields, borders are battle lines, sex and race, faith and ethnicity, the melting pot seems to be boiling over. Wow, so well said, at least from my observation, that's exactly what we're seeing in our culture today. And our, and, and our world is fracturing, you know, and, and we find what I'm seeing is a bunch of people with a bunch of different opinions, not just political, but in different silos and different opinions. And, and it's becoming a very, very heated. In fact, Georgetown University's uh, Institute for Politics and Public Service, did a, they did a survey last month. So this is just a few weeks old, found that 67%, a full two-thirds of Americans believe we're on the edge of a civil war. You can gasp at that one, because I did. Oh my gosh. We are very, very divided. And in fact, that most Americans believe the 2020 election could be as divisive and explosive as the election of 1860. That was the election that led to the Civil War, and it was ugly. It was ugly. So I don't know about you, but is anybody, I mean, I know I am. I'm wondering if anybody else is looking around at what's going on in our culture and our society and relationships between people who are supposed to, you know, we're, we're all Americans and all that, and going, what the heck is happening? What happened to our country? And I want to take a stab at, 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 at kind of giving us a little understanding of what, what is happening. Um, and then I want to talk about how we live in light of all of that. You guys up for that? Okay, good. So I think what, what, what's happening is we, as human beings, uh, sociologists and psychologists would, would tell you that, that every one of us has a propensity to look for information that confirms what we believe. It's called the uh, confirmation bias, all right? And so if I believe this way, then I want to consume information, media, whatever, that affirms what I already believe. So that's where I hang out. Now, we just happen to live in a day and age where we've got access to any information we want at a moment's notice. And, that, and those media feeds, that input, we can very much specialize in our own little silo and consume just that. And that's exactly what Americans are doing today, whether it's politics or another topic. And we find ourselves growing further and further in that direction, not even really able to understand why people on the other side believe what they believe. Like, how could anybody look at the information that I'm looking at and believe that? Well, guess what? They're not looking at the information you're looking at. They're looking at information that confirms what they already believe. And we grow more and more divided. They call it echo chambers. And we end up in our own little echo chamber that just reinforces what we already believe. I was reading an article uh, a couple weeks back and it was talking about, are we living in the same country? And, and the article, they, they had done some research and they had found that, that Democrats believe that we are living in some of the the, you know, some of the worst economic times and that we're at the precipice of an economic collapse. And Republicans believe that we are, these are the best of economic times and, and that the unemployment rates as low as it's been in 50 or 70 years and all these other things. 
And the, and the point of the article was how can rational people who live in, can have access to the same data come to two completely opposite conclusions? And the answer is confirmation bias. Depends on what media and, and information you're taking in. And, um, and we got to be careful of that. In fact, I'd encourage you to get out of your echo chamber. In fact, that will be my first point, but don't write it down yet. We'll get there. Get out of the echo chamber because if all you're doing is listening to people that confirm what you already believe, you're not getting the whole picture. You're not. Now, people will say, well, it's as bad as it's ever been. These days, you know, the political climate is as, as bad as it's ever been and the world's as bad as it's ever been. Anybody that's telling you that is trying to sell you something, okay? They want you to click on their website. They want you to view their, it's not as bad as it's ever been. You just go back, you know, it's just on the issue of political discourse alone. If you go back to the 1860 election leading up to the Civil War, it was bad. You go back to the, 18, the election of 1800, Thomas Jefferson running against John Adams. Now, these guys started out as friends, right? They wrote the Declaration of Independence together. They went to France to lobby for France to come help us with the Revolutionary War together. They were buddies, but after the war and America was established, they ended up in different parties. Boy, that's a recipe for disaster. And Thomas Jefferson runs against John Adams, and, and boy, the things that were said, I can't believe. Like, it's not as bad as it's ever been. I'm going to share a couple of them just to give you some perspective. One Connecticut paper wrote on behalf of John Adams that electing Jefferson would create a nation where murder, robbery, rape, adultery, and incest will openly be taught and practiced. Really? Thomas Jefferson? Are you kidding me? All right, and so, so I haven't heard anything that, that approaches that yet in this election cycle. Now, we still have 365 days, so we'll see, but not yet. Another, another uh, Adams supporter wrote that Je Jefferson was a mean-spirited, low-lived fellow. It means he was a low-life, the son of a half-breed Indian squaw and sired by a Virginia mulatto father. <sighs> now, I mean, there was a whole cultural, historic context to all that, but that's really, really bad, and I have not heard anybody get to that yet. Jefferson said about, this is awesome, Jefferson said about John Adams, or one of Jefferson's supporters, that Adams was a hideous hermaphroditical character. Okay, so in case you don't know what a hermaphrodite is, did I say that right? Anyway, in case you don't know what that is, it's somebody who's born with both male and female parts, right? It's, and so he's a, He's a hideous, hermaphroditical character which has neither the force and firmness of a man nor the gentleness and sensibility of a woman. Ouch. Wow. All right, it's not as bad as it's ever been. You know, the, the cycle that we're in, we've seen, seen it get bad before. We'll see it get bad again. And it is bad now, so don't hear me saying that it's not. It's pretty volatile. I mean, Thanksgiving dinner's coming, guys. Right? You know what I'm talking about. But the question isn't, is it as bad as it's ever been? The question is, how then do we live? How do, as followers of Jesus, how do we live in times like these? Because how we live matters. And how we navigate the next year and beyond 
and deal with the issue of politics and other issues as well. You can apply this to other areas of your life as well. It matters because people are watching. And in the next 365 days, we have the opportunity to have impact for good or impact for bad, depending on how we respond. Now, I do want to say up front, there is nothing wrong with having political opinions. I have very strong political opinions, and I'm going to tell you right now who you should vote for. No, I'm not. This is not a safe environment. I'm not going to do that. But I do. I, I, I find I love, I'm a student of history and I'm a student of politics and I love that. It's not that I don't have political opinions. I don't share them. If you follow me on Facebook, it's pretty boring because I'm not on Facebook. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm not out there sharing my opinions. I don't share them. You know why? Because... I'm here to help people find and follow God. And I want Democrats and Republicans, when their life goes to crap, and they're like, I need help and I need to find a church, I want them to think of this church first. And I want them to come here and meet Jesus because he's the one that's going to change their life, not a political party. <laughs> so how we share, what we choose to share in this environment is so important. And I will say this, and this is why I'm doing this message today. How you handle yourself over the next year has the potential to impact somebody's, maybe multiple people's eternities. So let's navigate it well and let's dial in. How do we do that? Well, I've got, I've got four points and they don't rhyme. Are you ready? First one is this. Get out of your echo chamber and into God's word. Get out of your echo chamber and into God's word. I once heard a pastor say, boy, if you're, if you're watching more television than you are reading the Bible, then, uh, then you're, you're unbalanced. And I'm like, that's not even feasible, dude. Um, the average American watches 40 plus hours of television. So if you're reading the Bible for the other 40 hours a week, you got to sleep. I mean, it's just not going to add up. So, and I would not say that, but I would say this. If you're not consuming a regular diet of God's word, then your worldview and the way you see this world will be shaped by the other sources of information that you take in. It will be. And so I, I, my challenge to every one of us is if you're a follower of Jesus, read a chapter of the Bible a day. Doesn't mean you can't consume other media, but read a chapter of the Bible a day and it will begin to inform the way you see the world and it will give you perspective that will bring you peace. And what you're going to find are there are people throughout the Bible who are living in a diverse, diverse and most of the time oppositional political environment who are thriving. You'll see Joseph in, in Egypt working for, for a Pharaoh who is, thinks he's God. Some of us work for people who think they're God, but that was a joke. Um, and thriving, you're going to see, you're going to see Daniel in, uh, working in Babylon and, and he has all this influence and he is, you know what the difference is? Is they're serving God. See, the people of God will thrive if we serve God regardless of the political circumstances. And we see it in the early church under persecution and the church and the people of God thrive in these hostile political environments. And you know what? That gives me a great deal of peace. My hope is not in the political environment, it is in God. So get out of your echo chamber and into God's word. Let his word 
Shape your lens, shape your worldview. Two, remember which kingdom is first. In, John, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, what does it say? It says, seek first the kingdom of? Oh, yeah, that kingdom. That kingdom we're supposed to be a part of. If we seek first his kingdom, it was Jesus that said that. And if we seek first his kingdom, Jesus said, everything else falls into place. There's such wisdom in that. You know, I've, I talk to Christians and, and, and they'll get all sideways about politics like the world's coming to an end. And, and it's like we live like our hope is in our government. Have you been to the DMV? Our hope is not in our government. All right, our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is in his kingdom and his kingdom is what we're to be seeking. First, we are citizens of heaven first. And when we tie our credibility to a party or a politician, we're on shaky ground because both of those things will let us down. And you know what? God's credibility is tied to that then too because you are his representative in this world. And when some politician blows it and you've been like, that's ah, our hope. It has negative implications. I have to remind myself constantly that the United States of America is not the kingdom I'm seeking first. My dad is in his mid-70s and his entire life he's wanted to go to, uh, to Sicily. There's a little town in Sicily that his boat, all four of his grandparents are from this little town in Sicily called Cinciana. And he has his entire life talked about going back to Chinchana. And he's in his mid-70s now, and he's never gone. And he just got a wild hair uh, about a month and a half ago and said, I'm going to Chinchana. He bought a plane ticket and flew off by himself for 10 days uh, and went to Chinchana. And it was, it was really cool. It's a really cool story. Uh, he, the, the men of Chinchana threw a pig roast for him, and they, you know, they sat around, you know, very patriarchal, manly stuff that would never happen in America because somebody would get offended. But it happened in Sicily. And, and, uh, and they met the mayor and went and found the birth records of his grandparents. And he was informed that since his grandparents were all Italian citizens, that not only that, that he could become an Italian citizen, he could apply for citizenship, his children, that'd be me, and my children could all apply for Italian citizenship. How cool is that, right? Now, I haven't decided that I'm not going to do it, but I haven't decided that I am yet. I'll let you know. But if I did, if I did apply for Italian citizenship, how concerned am I going to be about Italian politics? Not very. It's not my primary kingdom, right? I'm going to be more concerned about what's going on here. And the same thing, guys, we have to shift the perspective from here to the kingdom of heaven because that is our primary kingdom. And all of a sudden, the matters of this world and the politics of this world don't matter nearly as much because it's not where our hope is. Does that make sense? you got to remember which kingdom is first. Three, Jesus didn't come to start a political revolution. He came to start a spiritual revolution. Jesus has, has worked outside of politics for 2,000 years and has changed our world and didn't include politics for the most part. Sometimes people tried to to tie the two together, but that wasn't Jesus' thing. The most political thing that Jesus ever said. Okay, now let me back up. Jesus is born in this world where his nation, the nation of Israel, is occupied by the Romans. 
All the people in Israel want freedom and independence from the Romans. It's a very politically charged situation. Jesus doesn't say squat about politics. At one point, some guy is trying to trap him and says, should we pay taxes to Caesar? Because if he says no, then he gets in trouble and they can have something against him. And he says, bring me this coin. And they bring him the coin and he goes, whose picture is that? And they say, Caesar. He goes, give to Caesar what Caesar, Caesar's and give to God what is God's. That's the most political thing he ever said. Most political thing he ever did is he got one guy, he, he called together 12 disciples that were going to travel with him for three years. One of them, has got, his name was Levi. Jesus changes his name to Matthew. He's a big government guy. He works for the IRS. He collects money from the people of Israel and gives it to the big government Romans. And then on this side, he's got another guy named Simon. They call him Simon the Zealot because... It's a very creative name. He was a zealot, and, and zealots were fighting for the independence of Israel. They were the small government state rights guys, and they wanted to be free from the Romans and the big oppressive government and all of that. And so, so I mean, they had been known to carry around underneath their garments like knives so they could shank Roman soldiers or, or uh, Roman citizens, just kind of almost a terrorist, get these guys out of here kind of thing. They are at opposite ends of the political spectrum. And Jesus says, follow me, follow me. Now, you two, your roommates, let's go. There is no political divide in our nation that is as wide as that political divide. Jesus makes them roommates. And they go on to change the world together. See, Jesus was about building bridges, not creating chasms. The apostle Paul you know, the early church thrives through the Roman Empire where they are opposed by the government. And Paul doesn't try to lead a political revolution. This is what he says. He says, pray for those in authority over you. Pray for those in authority over you. Don't talk them down. Pray for them. That's the movement of Jesus and the cool thing is, is if you can t get back a few steps from your political ideologies and parties and all of that step, stuff and take a few steps back historically and look at the big picture of what we have seen over the last 2,000 years, Jesus has changed the world. He started with 125 followers and today there's 2.2 billion followers. And this thing has spread in spite of government structures. It's spread in, in monarchies. It's spread in democracies. It's spread in big governments or big countries with big countries, small countries, empires, tribal systems. It is spreading like crazy in communist China where Christians are persecuted and they're not even supposed to be meeting. And it can't be stopped and we date time after this guy. The, the aspects of compassion that we see in our culture did not exist when Jesus showed up. The um, aspects of uh, women's, women's equality and all of that, that women had the, the uh, status of property in the ancient world. And Jesus led in the direction of equality. And we see that had worked its way. It's a revolution that despite political structures is sweeping the world and has been for 2,000 years. See, Jesus, Jesus had a plan that was so much bigger than just replacing a government or electing a new administration. It was changing the world. 
And he continues to do it to this very day. Now, don't get me wrong, guys. I love our country. Like I said, I'm a student of history. I love, I love the history of, of the United States. I love our freedom. There are aspects of our history that grieve me. But on, on balance, it's like, wow, what an amazing, like if you, again, in the context of history, what an amazing, what an amazing period we have lived in. But I don't worship it. I hope you don't either. It's not my hope. I'm under no illusion that it's going to last forever. Governments and, and countries very rarely do, if ever. They come, they go. And if your peace, if your peace depends on who's in power, who's in the White House, then your faith is in the wrong things. Because this too will pass. I remember in, in 2008 when Barack Obama was elected president, all my conservative friends lost their ever-loving minds. <laughs> it's the end of the world. We're going to lose our freedom. Ah! And they were depressed for weeks and months. And then in 2016 when Donald Trump was elected president, all my liberal friends had the exact same reaction. And I'm thinking, as followers of Jesus, really should not affect us that much. It's a secondary kingdom. It's a secondary kingdom. So, how do we live? How then do we live? In times like this, in times when, when the, the conversation is, is so volatile, when opinions are so divided, how do we live? What are the rules of the kingdom? And for that, I want to point us to Jesus. And I could take you to a couple places, but I think this particular parable that we're about to hear sums it up better than just about anything else. So if you brought your Bible, you can open up to Luke chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 25. And this is what it says. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, what do I need to do to, to inherit the kingdom of God, to, to have this eternal kind of life that you're talking about? What do I have to do? And Jesus turns it back into a question, as a good teacher will. He says, what's written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? Well, the gentleman answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. This guy has been reading Jesus's press. Jesus was famous for summarizing all the law and the Bible and all of that into two things, love God, love people, love God, love people. Actually, let's say this together because this is really where this whole thing lands. Love God, love people. All right, you guys are the love God people. You are the lo love people people, right? Love God, love God, love people. Tastes great, less filling. All right, so very good. <clears throat> all right. I don't know why I just did that. That was ridiculous. All right, so <laughs> you answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And Jesus launches into this story. He makes up a story to illustrate a point. We call that a parable. And don't miss this point, guys. 
says, in reply, Jesus said, there was a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. This would have been a Jewish guy. This is all within Jewish territory. The assumption is a Jewish man. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest, another Jewish man, a religious Jewish guy, happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. He didn't help his Jewish brother. So too, a Levite, a different type of religious Jewish guy, but a religious Jewish guy nonetheless, he too, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. And then Jesus drops the bomb. Jesus says, but a Samaritan. Now, Jesus is about to make the Samaritan a hero, which doesn't mean a whole lot to us unless you understand the culture. The Samaritans were neighbors to the Jews, and they hated each other. I mean, hated each other. The Samaritans, uh, they would have been better off to have had a pagan religion that would have been less offensive, but they had this morphed version of, of Judaism. So they had taken Judaism and they've kind of added their own rules and put some things in and taken things out. And the Jews hated the Samaritans and the Samaritans hated the Jews. The Jews would walk around the territory of Samaria just so they didn't have to see a Samaritan. They called them pigs and dogs. The difference or the chasm between Samaritans and Jews was wider than the chasm between a Trump supporter and a Bernie supporter. Wider, significantly wider. Jesus knows what he's doing here. So, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Who does this? Nobody does this. The next day he took out two denarii, which was, were their money, and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Jesus is just painting a picture here. This guy was over the top, gracious and loving and kind to somebody he wasn't even supposed to talk to. And then Jesus asks this religious guy, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, he couldn't say Samaritan. He was probably just steam coming out of his ears because Jesus got him said, the one who had mercy on him was the neighbor. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Jesus paints a picture of people who are as separated as any two people could be on this planet and says, when one is kind to the other, when one leads with love towards the other, when one meets the needs of the other, when one builds a bridge to the other, that's the heart of God, go and do likewise. And I could end this message right here and just say, guys, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. There are people with opinions that are completely opposite of yours. Go and do likewise. There are people who are going to rip your face off at the Thanksgiving dinner table. Go and do likewise. Some of you are laughing a little too hard. Jesus is some of his final instructions to his disciples in John 13. He says, look, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love one another as I've loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Jesus, Jesus made our love for people the distinguishing factor of our faith in him. When we love well, we broadcast to the world that we are his. And when we don't, 
we communicate something very different. Love is the way forward. Kindness is the way forward. And in an environment where we are separated by opinions and politics and everything else, it's still true. Which leads me to my final point, which is this. People matter more than politics. People matter more than politics. Politics are temporary. People are eternal. That's pretty good. That'll preach. Somebody write that down. So how are you treating people? Are you listening? Are you, are you serving them? Are you valuing their opinion? Doesn't mean you have to agree with their opinion. But do you value their opinion? It doesn't mean you can't disagree with their opinion, but how are you disagreeing? You know, you can disagree without being disagreeable. And we must, we must. Jesus writing about social media 2,000 years ago in Matthew chapter 5, 38 said this. You've heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, Turn to them the other cheek also. You know, you don't have to answer somebody when they get all ugly on you on Facebook or at the office or around the dinner table. You don't have to blow up. You don't have to lose your mind. You don't have to be mean. And in fact, I think Jesus would say you shouldn't. Jesus is smart. Jesus is really smart. You know, Martin Luther King Jr. leading the civil rights movement in the, in the 60s, I mean, he was just following the teachings of Jesus on this one, like turn the other cheek. They were, anybody who had participated with him in, the, in their protests and their rallies, they had an opinion, but they would not strike back and they won the hearts of the nation. And all that legislation that got passed and everything else that happened, it was because they didn't, because they turned the other cheek. And maybe, just maybe, it would be more powerful to not respond than to respond when somebody unjustly accuses you. Matthew 5, 11, Jesus says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Like, don't go, it's not fair. He says, Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So don't strike back. Turn the other cheek and never be the person who does the attacking. I need you guys to lock eyes with me now, all right? Look into my, deep into my eyes. This, this isn't everybody, but there are a few of us here that need to hear this. You are not God's watchdog. He does not need you to defend him. And he does not need you to defend whatever political party you think he's a part of. He's got it. He's got this. He's got it. And at the end of the day, your witness is more important than your point. Say that again. Your witness is more important than your point. People are watching. Eternity is more important than the next election. And if you burn bridges over points, parties, or opinions, you're a fool. You're probably wrong anyway. <laughs> you see, the politics of Jesus have nothing to do with politics. He was apolitical. Now, 
He did speak truth to power. And I believe we have a responsibility in a free society to do the same. We do. The, the, the abolitionist movement in England and then in the, in the U.S. was led by Christians who stood up and said, this is immoral. We should. And stand up against injustice. In a representative democracy, we don't have the luxury to put our heads in the sand and ignore what's going on in our world. But at the same time, how we engage matters eternally. We must remember whose we are and who we represent. And how you handle yourself over the next year, guys, could matter eternally in somebody's life. Don't burn bridges. Act with love and respect. Lead with love and respect. Remember that people matter more than your point or your politician. Remember that the good Samaritan and that Jewish guy were further apart than anybody on the opposite side of the aisle of you. Remember that what we're a part of is God's kingdom, not this kingdom. Get out of the echo chamber. Remember that Jesus was about a spiritual revolution, not a political one. And always, always, always remember that people are more important than politics, guys, because we've got quite a ride ahead of us this year. And if the people of light will bring light, we'll weather it well. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you're like, well, how does all this apply to me? Well, Jesus is really smart. And actually, if you follow his teachings, it will impact your life in a positive way. It'll impact our world in a positive way. But not only is Jesus smart, Jesus came to bridge the ultimate chasm, the chasm between people and God. And that chasm was created by our sin and the wages of sin was death. And he came and he died on a cross to pay for our sins so that they could be forgiven and so that we could be in a relationship with God. And believe me, you see the world differently than God does. But he loves you. You know, and the spin machine has been at work for years and it's not what, he's not what you think. He's not a hater. He loves you. He loves people. He sent his only son to die in your place so that you could have life in all of its fullness and so that you could have a relationship with your heavenly father who made you and loves you and has a purpose for your life. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus, what are you waiting for? Let me invite you because the invitation is open to take a step towards God, to ask him for his forgiveness in a relationship with him. And, and that's really simple. I mean, it's just as simple as saying, saying to God, you can pray silently in your heart, just re repeat after me if you want. And, but Jesus, if you're real, I want to know your love. I want to know the Father's love. I choose now to take a step in your directions. Meet me. Heal me. Let me know your love. Let me know you. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.
Thanks again for joining us here at The Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. In addition to these podcasts, please come visit us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling, Sunday mornings at 9.30 and 11.15, and experience these encouraging messages, some incredible music, and so much more in person. We would love to meet you. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.